0: Let me ask you to turn to John chapter 13, and while you're turning there, you should have received in your worship guide uh, a card with our verse of the year, and we're going to read this in a a moment, so I want you to get it ready, or we will read it in the scripture as well from uh, this version, the uh, ESV, and... uh, Here's what we want to encourage you to do with these, uh, especially if you're new to us. And that is to uh, take this and put it somewhere where you uh, can memorize it, where you will see it often, you will uh, think about it, you will seek application of it, and throughout the year, uh, we will be uh, preaching on this passage at various times and applying it in various ways. So uh, this uh, we have felt led to as our focus for uh, this coming year. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. Uh, I'm excited because we, we have what I consider to be a very loving congregation. And yet I believe God's calling us to go even deeper with this, and uh, you never you never get to the bottom of being as loving as you possibly can. Uh, this says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so, while I'm excited, I also realize that that some of the lessons in this could be some uh, very convicting ones, and and maybe even some difficult ones but ones that uh, we as the leadership here at St. Andrews believe that God is calling us to explore and go deeper into. Okay, so Phil Robertson. You know who Phil Robertson is? Does anybody? Okay, Phil Robertson, if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's the head of the family on the reality show <clears throat> duck dynasty and uh, here's what I'm told about that show okay uh, it, it's about a family and uh, uh, a, a Christian family but they um, it's a reality TV show uh, they make duck calls and buck calls and and so on and uh, they've made a lot of money and and it's all about their family well Uh, Phil, who is the head of that family, uh, made a statement in an interview uh, with GQ magazine. Uh, Now, my subscription to that's run out, so I had to... (laughs) Now, by those who uh, agreed with him, they lauded it. They loved what he said. Those who disagreed just panned him, and along with him, anyone who would hold to his views. And amazingly, it was uh, it was at the top of the news for at least several days, um, uh, shortly before Christmas. Ironically, some of those who were the um, uh, are big on freedom of speech were some of his big, biggest critics, and yet we need to ask ourselves about that statement. I've been asked about it a lot, and uh, I am convinced that the Scripture does speak about that type of thing, and... And it, it brings to bear an application even from our verse of the year in terms of how we should look at that kind of weird incident that was uh, the talk of everyone for uh, that news cycle. So we're going to look in this, this passage. Now, before we uh, read the actual passage that uh, this verse is contained in, we need to look at the context uh You should never underestimate the importance of the the context of a verse, and if you 're ever going to understand a verse you 've got to look at its full context in order to understand not not just you know cults for instance, love to just take a verse and then prove something from that verse, but a, a right and intelligent and honest look at Scripture is always going to look at not just that verse proving what we want it to prove, but it's going to look at uh, the surrounding passage. And so when we talk about context, you talk about the, the verses immediately before and after a verse. You talk about the chapter before and after. You talk, talk about the book that it's contained in. And then you talk about the testament it is in and then where it fits in the scripture. That's the full context. Now, obviously, we can't look at all of that today, but I, I do want us to understand the immediate uh, context in John 13. It, that chapter begins now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own Who were in the world. He loved them to the end. That to me. Is a striking phrase. One version puts it this way. He now showed them. The full extent. Of his love. You want to know what that is? He's going to show them the full extent of his love. I want to know what that is and what did he do to demonstrate that he washed their feet now in the bigger picture he continued on to the cross which showed the full extent of his love which showed loving them to the end but in the immediate context he got down and and washed their feet now, when we think about this washing of the feet, that means he got down and he washed John's feet. John was a nice guy, the apostle of love. He washed Andrew's feet, the inviter. Don't know a lot about him, but he's kind of in the Johnish category. He also washed Peter's feet. He's what I would call an EGR, Extra Grace Required. <laughs> By the way, if you ask me if you're an EGR, I will say, yes, of course you are. So uh, don't even bother to ask. But that, he, he got down and washed his feet. But he also evidently got down and washed the feet of the betrayer of Judas showing the full extent of his love he loved them to the end and then he shifts gears he had told them that they should follow his example and serve one another it's not just washing feet it's it's a, a bigger picture he was giving he shifts gears talks about how one of his disciples would betray him and then in verse 21 <clears throat> after saying these things jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. John Calvin said this, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke show Christ's body. The gospel of John show his soul. And here we're about to see his soul revealed. He says to Judas, What you're going to do, do quickly. And then... We get close to our text. Jesus understands that what Judas was doing was setting into motion his crucifixion. He points that out in verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while, I'm with you. And that's what makes this next statement so important. Anything Jesus said at any time is important and essential. But when... He's giving his last words. When he's saying last things, he wants to say to his disciple, What would he tell them to do? What would he tell them to believe? Well, he tells them to love what he does. Of all the things he could have, he could have said and left them with, he says love. And amazingly, he doesn't say love me, love Jesus, love God. He says love one another. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want to leave you with. Let's read in our text, beginning with verse 31, and have your verse ready so you can read it with me when we get to 34. And when he had gone out, that was Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while, I'm with you. You'll seek me, and, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Let's read together, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we need to hear from you what this means, what it means to us in our life, in our church, in our family. And then, Lord, even as we have sung, we need to be empowered by you. You've called us to this high calling. And in our strength, impossible calling. And so, Lord, will you be our teacher and the one who provides for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's look at the text itself, a new command, love one another. How can that possibly be called a new command here at this point? You go back to the Old Testament, you see uh, commands like uh, Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. You see Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord so how is this a new command isn't this just an old command that you now are to fulfill better than you did before well it's it's new on a couple of levels one is, who they are to love. Now, it's, it's true that in the, the verse I just read to you from uh, Leviticus, it says that uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who is that neighbor, though, according to Leviticus? Well, in the same passage... It had just said, don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. So basically, in in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews understood uh, this command and what God required of them to be love for their brothers, their neighbors, who were the called out people of God. Jews. Jews. And so it was in that rather narrow sense that they looked at this. Now in Christ, instead of looking at the Gentiles as people out there that that God doesn't like, certainly doesn't love, and will call down judgment upon, instead of that, then we have, for instance, the uh, Apostle Paul saying this in Galatians three, verse twenty-six: "For in Christ you're all sons of God through faith." He's not saying everybody, but he said through faith. For as many as you, uh, uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. uh Oh, th- you know this is this is different. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now we could go into that because in, in that sense we see that love is, you know, the definition of Abraham's heirs is expanded. So there are Gentiles and all kinds of people that, are under that category. Where could Paul have gotten this view? Well, how about Jesus? Jesus, for instance, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he says, you know, we're not going to walk by people any longer. We ought not to. Other people do that. Other people try to get away from from those who are untouchable in one way or another. But it's different now that I've come. And so now the focus of the love of these disciples. Now, think about it. I'm sure they wanted to love each other the disciples but think about how they acted among each other they they were petty with each other they argued over position they argued over power and so their focus was always our love for jesus that was what kept that band together because of their their love for jesus And Jesus is now saying, look, just for a little while, I'm going to be among you. And then I'm not going to be among you anymore. He's talking about his death that was about to take place. And he says, this is what I want you to do. (laughs) Turn that love toward one another. Like I've loved you. Turn it toward one another. Not not to quit loving Jesus in any sense. But to begin in a deeper and a more real sense to have love for one another. Well, it's also new in terms of the degree of how they are to love one another. How are they to love, verse 34, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, in a future sermon, that's going to be the whole focus. So we're not going to go too deep into that today but what what is that as i have loved you how had he loved them well he loved them before they loved him right first john he loved them not based on what they could do for him they really couldn't do anything for him till he empowered them and he loved them and us to the cross, and then the grave, and then the throne. So that's how he had loved them. That's the degree of love he calls us to. But what about the results? And I want us to spend a little bit of time in terms of this. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, it's interesting to me that what God... Jesus doesn't say here is He doesn't say, all men will know you're My disciples if you live righteous lives. He doesn't say, all men will know you're My disciples if you keep the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say, all men will know you're My disciples if you go to church or if you talk about Me or or witness for Me or all men will know you're My disciples if you tithe. He doesn't do any of those things things, although all of those are evidences of a love for Christ. I don't want to write any of them off. They're all good things. But in his last hours, Jesus chose to emphasize something else. When Jesus went away, how would the world know what real love is? When he walked among us, we could look at Jesus and say, now that's what real love is. But when he was gone, when he ascended into heaven, when his work was done here on earth, how would the world possibly know what real real love is? And that's why he gives it to us, to show the world. The only example they'd have would be his followers. It will identify us. It'll set us apart. Do you remember um, during Advent, I read an editorial from a pastor in Colombia that had basically said, "Oh, I've outgrown Jesus of the Virgin Birth and 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 Jesus of miracles and all that. I still believe in Jesus, but you know." And I I knew he was gonna he was gonna get some reaction, and uh, he did. And there were lots of responses, and I'm not going to read to you any of the responses to him, but I think you're going to be able to tell the tone of some of the responses uh, by what some of his supporters then said. This is a response to one of his critics. Critics. Mr. Blank, uh, I'm sorry that you have to resort to name-calling and being judgmental in your response to this very well-written, very well-reasoned letter to the editor by Reverend Jones. So you can surmise, and there's a whole paragraph right before that where this person's saying, why do you have to name-call? You know, can't you just talk? Why Why do you have to... You know, be so judgmental in that. And then another one says this. And this one was painful for me to read. Because this person is responding to the person who rebuked this person for name-calling, okay? This guy says, Susan, did you really expect more from some people in South Carolina? This one thing I believe. If perhaps by chance there is a God... It, she, or he is not in South Carolina. You ask why? My response would be because the people in South Carolina are too evil for God to be around. Something happened to that man at some point. Somewhere along the way, his encounter with People claiming to be Christians turned into a bitterness that causes him to lash out at others. This passage addresses that. It's way too predictable that some Christians, you might remember I said, look, In your response to him, don't be angry. But it's way too predictable that that, that's the first response. Well-intentioned, I would say that. These people, I think, really want to defend Christ. But how we do it is the key and the question. Back to Phil Robertson, the interview. I heard a morning person on one station who stated, there is no love in that heart, pointing to Phil Robertson, uh, based on the little bit he'd said. Now, it's interesting that she was doing to him just what they're accusing him of doing to others in terms of judging and so on, but, but that's kind of another, another issue But I would say, unfortunately, if all you know about him was from that first quote of him, I can see how some might surmise that. Do you see what I'm saying? That could be a question. Now, I've read other things by him. So far as I can see, he's got a genuine testimony of of trust in Christ. But it was about what he said. Let me give you several applications that I take away from this. One is, Christians should probably think twice or three times before doing an interview with GQ. (laughs) 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 Or Cosmopolitan. Or, as President Carter did back in his day, Playboy magazine, now, most of us aren't going to have to worry about that because we won't be asked to do an interview. But here's the point in that. When we're, here's the lesson, I think. When we're asked a question, consider where the question's coming from. And if, if you're in a place where the questioner considers you the enemy, then just be aware of that. You need to know and understand that you're considered the enemy. A second lesson from this, I think, is we are all spokesmen, spokespersons for Christ and Christians. You might not want to be, but if you claim the name of Christ, even if you're not a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, you become a spokesperson for Christ and other Christians. We never elected Phil Robertson to be our official representative, did we? Or was I out of the room when we voted on that? No, we, we wouldn't have elected him, probably. Those raised in the backwoods of Louisiana are usually not the ones we're going to say, okay, he represents us. Here it is. But do you see the point? We're not elected into that position. By by bearing the name of Christ and claiming the name of Christ, you're automatically considered a spokesperson. And so we need to understand that by what we say and how we act, we will either advance the cause of Christ or we will marginalize it more. By what we say how we say it, and how we act. We will either advance or marginalize it. And then a a third lesson I take away from this. If you do get cornered, try to answer in such a way that is uncompromising but cannot be called unloving unless they call the Bible unloving. We can't stop them from that. Unfortunately, the way Phil Robertson responded, there was some crass language and and so on. That became an easy target for those that would want to disagree. And how different would it have been if his second statement, after he thought about it, if that had been his first statement, then what the Scripture says would have actually been the issue. And that's what we should want for the Scripture and what God says to be the issue. Now, how do we do that? Let me, let me contrast this with one of my real, probably the only one I would say is a, a living hero of mine, and that's Billy Graham. If you look back at interviews he did, and he did some in some very hostile places, he was on some of the the talk shows of the day, phil Donahue and he he has an a inter- interview with Woody Allen and david Frost and some of them were just they were just hostile towards him. They would say things like "So how can you say Jesus is the only way, or how can you say there is a hell or there 's only one god they would they would take hard things they they knew he had said, and other Christians say, and they would say, how can you say that? And inevitably, he would answer, I'm not saying that. God has said that in the Bible. You see, they couldn't get him off message. That's what I loved about it. Watch some of those sometime on YouTube. They, they just couldn't get him off message. He went back to the Bible, back to the gospel. And kept taking them there. But here's how he did it. I never saw any statement he made that he presented in an unloving way. And he always did it respectfully, even when he was being disrespected. He did it, he, he answered back respectfully. Real love is so radical that it will set us apart. When people see it, they will recognize it as something different. You're not responding the way I expected you to respond. You're not falling for the trap that I have put in front of you. And here's the key. Love one another as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, we talked about context. We talked about that which was before. Let let me very quickly talk about what comes after. In verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I, I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow. Till you have denied me three times. That's context as well. This passage is sandwiched between a mention of Judas and Peter. Peter wasn't a betrayer, though he temporarily denied Jesus. And when Peter said, I'll lay down my life for you, he really meant it. I'm convinced he really meant it. But we all know it didn't even last through the night. His problem? Well, it's Sonny's problem. It's the problem of the other Chinese, and it's our problem. Self-sufficiency. That was his problem. He really thought he could do what he said, but it it only lasted a few hours. Not even that long. And that's another reminder for us. If you really think you can love others in your own strength, you're sorely mistaken. Here's who you will love you'll love those that love you back. You will love the lovely. You'll love those who agree with you. You will love those that are easy to love what makes what Jesus is calling us to do so radical is he's saying, yes, keep loving all of them. The ones I just mentioned. Keep loving all of them. But the world's going to notice when you love the leper like I did. When you love those that can never benefit you in any way. When you love those that are hard to look at. When you love those that won't love you back or are incapable of loving you back. Then you're beginning to to love like Jesus. It's about Christ in you. Let's pray. You have told us to love one another just as you've loved us so we're to love one another. And you've told us that's how all people will know that we're your disciples if we have love for one another. I am so conscious, and I hope everyone in this room is conscious, that I can only do that to a degree. I'm so limited in that. And so... We call on Christ in us, Christ who empowers us, Christ who equips us, Christ who enables us. Give us the eyes of Jesus as we look at one another, and we pray this in his precious name. Amen.